Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Friday the 10th of June. Today, I'm joined for the last time this week by Ines Pinero, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Ines. How are you today? Hello, Peter. I'm doing well today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, End of the week. Um, Looking forward to... Um, meet. In fact, I'm looking forward to meeting you and um, yeah. a lot of other uh, Watson Stadium ambassadors. We're going. We're all going out tomorrow. Well, I say all going out. Some <laughs> of us are going out tomorrow. Um, should be a lot of fun. But anyway, yes. um, from today's Watson's Daily, what stood out for you? Right. So today, I chose an article from the Daily Telegraph about the fertilizer industry mm-hmm. and supply chain disruption. Yep was really interested as they pointed out that steak dinners are under threat as the <laughs> fertilizer costs um, are increasing essentially so yeah. essentially this is just another product added to our list of expensive products peter what do you think yeah i mean what not- products yeah, bit of an, you know, bit of an, it's just a, a long, it's, it's almost getting boring now, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I don't think there are many things where the prices are, are going down. Um, and yeah. yes, this just adds, this just adds to it, doesn't it, really? Yeah, definitely. And the article points out the meat processors are warning that households will have to go for cheaper cuts. Mm-hmm. in terms of steak uh, because yeah. farmers have had to cut back on, on fertilizer the, mm-hmm. the product that they use to grow grass to feed cattle mm-hmm. and this means that they have to slaughter them earlier in the season and this produces lower quality products mm-hmm. on top of this issue yesterday we saw that farmers in the uk were essentially warning of uh, food supply disruption as it is vulnerable at the moment as Mm. the major fertilizer plant is closed down which is called the u.s company sf uh, sorry cf fertilizers yeah and so this actually is um, due to two reasons two problems so first of all the increase in energy costs you know, it's mm-hmm. a topic that we've been talking about for a while now. Yeah. And also on top of that, environmental taxes. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, this was really interesting. And um, essentially, farmers are really concerned about the current situation because if things go wrong with this plant, there mm-hmm. will be major problems. Um, yeah. And in, in terms of imports as well, it's also a problem as it's incredibly expensive yeah. for them to rely on these uh, products from abroad. Um, you know, and you can't always rely on these uh, products being brought from abroad because of the current situation with the supply chain. And as we know, the problems with the Ukraine war. And on top of that, we also have the supply chain disruptions um, due to the situation mm. in China. And as we saw, today's headline also adds to that as you know, we had articles highlighting the China plans for permanent zero COVID restrictions with mm. permanent testing and quarantine regimes. Mm. And so the effects of all this is at the moment in the UK, fertilizers, uh, well, they, they used to cost around £200 per tonne. That was pre-pandemic mm-hmm. in the UK. And as you pointed out today in Daily's edition, it costs around uh, £625. Mm. 
So it's a huge, huge difference. And mm. I think this brings really important considerations in respect of this. Uh, Peter, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, I think you, you make a, a lot of good points there. And the, the thing here is whether we are seeing a, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, weren't we? we were seeing like, are we seeing the meat prices going up to hit the same sort of levels as, as meat free, uh, you know, as, as meat substitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if so, that, you know, that could, that could be good for the likes of um, uh, uh, impossible foods um, and beyond meats, for instance, but you know, I'm not quite sure in terms of what their fertilizer needs are. Uh, in terms of, I have to say, uh, you know, you'd have thought there's a lot of fertilizer needed and feed as well needed for cattle. Um, whereas I think that you know, meat-free stuff, you would have thought it needs a bit of fertilizer. I would have thought. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, you know, although it's less, you you know, you know you're not going to have the cattle involved, etc. So, it, you would have thought it's it's less expensive. So, even if prices have to go up for them for fertilizer, um, it might not have to go up as much as it does for meat. And this yeah. might bring meat free into play a bit more potentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really hope so. I was also trying to look at the positive side of. of... Mm story of course i mean it, it touches on three different uh industries per se so mm. industry of fertilizer industry and well and, and meatless uh, alternatives mm. uh, as well in, in respect of their operations and perhaps if they're able to come up with new uh, products that are attractive and try to make the most of this situation what i thought was interesting is that of course you know we are experiencing this because of a number of reasons you know we uh, saw um fewer people going to restaurants over covid mm. uh then uh fewer farmers and not enough cattle and mm-hmm more pressure on, on consumers as prices go up. And on top of that, we have certain concerns in, in respect of the meat industry yeah. uh, not being very sustainable, as we know, for environmental reasons like mm. food, livestock and all that. Mm. But it's also proven to be kind of rambling due to supply chain disruption and over-relying on certain regions for fertilisers. Mm. And the result of this is essentially higher prices added to the endless list of high prices that, you know, we talk mm. milk, eggs, most products, really. Mm. And I imagine that they'll need to rethink their operation in order to try and mitigate risk in a medium to long term. Mm. Um, and, you know, does, does this mean more opportunities for the fertilizer industry to grow in different industries i mean in, in different uh, jurisdictions or in different regions i mean i think it remains to be seen but i mean we've seen that for example with the situation in china and supply chain and uh, china experiencing all these lockdowns and everything else uh there are companies around the world that they they're trying to reestablish relationship with their supply chain in different regions to to think strategically and to try and mitigate the mm. risk that we're currently experiencing and i think uh on a medium so th- sorry this is this is because of the reliance that the reliance yeah. that we've had so far on exactly. um on fertilizer from ukraine and russia isn't it exactly and yeah. and as an example as people mm-hmm. that rely on products from china for example mm. are trying to move and you know and kind of 
build new relationships on different jurisdictions. For those that rely on fertilizers from uh, Russia and Belarus, which is, I think, something around 40% of the mm-hmm. fertilizer supply, I think mm-hmm. on the fertilizer industry, they will also have to kind of strategically think about how to reshuffle that a bit because. You know, this particular story talks about um, Europe and the current situation here, but it's something that is also felt in South America, for example. Mm. So we mm-hmm. have the example of Brazil and Argentina that are also huge producers of cattle and also wheat. And they also rely on fertilizer to, to be able to, um, to, well, to, to grow their crops and to be able to take care of their meat production and all that. And uh, an issue that's been highlighted is also the fertilizer industry that is not just... Um, you know, affecting uh, things here in, in Europe, but also over there. So that also impacts the exports and how much are able to export to different countries. Mm. And, you know, so that's in one side. I think that there's a lot to be done in the medium to, to long term. But I think if there's um, an opportunity for an industry right now from, from this story, it's definitely the meatless uh, alternatives because, you know, if they really want to, try to improve their the products and to get more people to consume what they do i think this is a good time for them to think uh, mm. on, on how to attract customer attention because again you know the products are usually quite expensive like more mm. expensive than normal meat products for example mm-hmm. um and you know if the result of all, of all this means that steaks are going to be you know significantly more expensive than what they are at the moment i think you said something about five percent more mm, mm-hmm. um more expensive than you know if they end up being perhaps even more expensive that meatless alternatives death, death, then it could mean that the meatless industry could perhaps do something to attract more people mm. so i don't think it's going to be on um they won't be able to do it on meat free steaks though because i I think that the, the at the moment um, it's not it's not quite there. Um, I think I've said this before, and I don't I don't know if I said this in a, a previous conversation or on the on the podcast. But um, my eldest son, um, who's twelve, he decided to become a pescatarian uh, the other day. No, you know, prompting from anyone. Um, none of us, you know, we, we're all sort of omnivores um, around here, and um, it's. As a result of that, uh, he's been doing this for a few months now. And um, as a result of that, we've been through all the different sort of meat alternatives. And um, I have to say, I, I, I was very I was very positive about meat free stuff um, before. Um, but I think I'm less so at the moment. I mean, I'm still positive about it overall because I think it's a good thing. And um, and actually, you know, that some some of it is good. But the emphasis on that sentence is some um because i've i've seen some i've I've had some really ropey stuff um uh, yeah i've had some really ropey meat-free stuff and um so yeah so i it's been uh the only things that i think that i've found so far that i think are good are um beyond meat uh burger that's very good uh, haven't had an impossible burger yet, but I think that they they are supposed to be very good. Um, and these chicken nuggets from uh, M and S, which I think were very very close to actual chicken nuggets, it's a real thing, yeah. Yeah, but apart from that, um, really not great, you know. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a long way to go. There is there is a market out there, 
Um, and if and if they can get the the product, keep on improving the products, then it will be good. Um, but in terms, but the, I think really the the main problem here is 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 about the whole fertilizer thing and the way yeah. that that, that um, supply chains have become so imbalanced. And I think that that is that is why um, oh, um you know unbalanced. Um, I think that the reason for that is that over time. Um, uh, companies and industries get addicted to low cost stuff yeah. and so as that happens you know the market share of, of, of um, uh, producers from certain regions just keep building up and up and up um, until you end up with this situation where you like CF Industries in the UK for instance mm-hmm. is it produces a massive um, uh, you know uh, amount of, of the uk's fertilizer so when something happens with that company it is a serious problem so i think that you know uh, supply chains generally i mean this is a broader uh kind of point that so what i i found it's just an observation over time that you know you have like um an event maybe a natural disaster or something like an earthquake or something like that you know, the, uh, a region gets usually a, often Asia because, uh, I don't know, I guess it's on lots of plates and things. So that's why the, these things happen. But anyway, once that happens, um, suddenly everyone realises that, oh, we've got too much exposure to that region. Mm-hmm. Oh, we will balance everything out. And they do, they make a bit of a token gesture for a while. Yep. But as time goes on, they become more addicted to a lower price and they gravitate towards they gravitate towards lower price um so that's what that's what tends to happen um yeah. over time and we end up in this situation and now we are finding ourselves in this situation yeah and we've seen that time and time again especially during the pandemic i mean mm-hmm. i think one of the stories that you mentioned uh, some time mm-hmm. ago was about these products they used in fizzy drinks mm-hmm. um i can't remember the particular name of the product but i know that was one of the issues here in the uk as well because they couldn't get the enough supply for that and mm-hmm. that's like, right co2 you, isn't it yeah yeah, okay. CO2. Yeah. yeah yeah and they relied on this huge company i think it was an american company yeah um, no, it was this one it was this one is oh, it, this it's is the same one yeah because yeah, oh yeah, i think it's, it's i think it's a um a byproduct yeah so they, they're kind of basically they're connected right they're connected right so, yeah. well there you go uh, so it's it's funny because you see how much influence it has but then on top of that um mm-hmm. we a few months ago as well something going on with the paper industry and the food industry is struggling to bring labels uh, for their products because also the the um, paper industry they rely on it's in this Mm. region um i can't remember specifically which region right now but uh it's it's just really kind of shocking to see how some countries become so reliant on specific jurisdictions and regions and and mm. now we have this uh this situation going on but i mean i i, I can completely agree with what you say in, rela- in relation to meatless product they mm. have to work on their offering but mm. if there's an opportunity for them to do so i think this is a good time mm. um we, we'll, we'll have to wait and see peter but uh but let's hope that something positive can come out of this story absolutely absolutely yeah. So I think you have more positive news today, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to, um, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to choose Apple again. Um, now, it's the Apple I, week. It is the Apple <laughs> week. Now, the thing, okay, so let's let's go through this, right? So um, 
we we had um, all the developments earlier on this week. So first of all, we thought we were going to get an AR headset. We didn't, um, but they did announce that they would get that Apple said it was going to do buy now, pay later, uh, buy now, pay later. Um, initially, we all got excited saying, hey, well, this is great because you've got Apple with its installed base. Um, and uh, plus, you've got Goldman Sachs doing doing the financial thing in the background. It's a proper bank. Therefore, it's better potentially than um uh than say um not Rev- um uh clark it's better than klarna uh, because klarna doesn't have that that background however this latest development shows that in fact it's not um goldman um sachs that is behind it i mean goldman is going to facilitate apple's access to master the mastercard network but apple is taking all the risk so um, the, I mean, the upside is they're getting all the transaction fees, right? So that is going to be a huge cash cow, I would have thought. On the other hand, um, if things don't go badly and customers default, they will take on the risk. So that is a risk that Apple takes. Um, anyway, I think that this is a, a, an amazing um, development because it does show Apple moving into finance like properly. Uh, into finance because it's taking taking on the risk and i do wonder whether this is this is this is a part of apple's evolution because um thus far apple has been very much a a hardware company um it has historically relied very much on um uh, uh, on um uh, the sales of iphones i think it's still something like 60% 60% of revenues come from iPhones. And it has been saying for the last few years that it's trying to reduce um, reliance on hardware and wants to increase um, revenues from, um, from services like iTunes and, and things, you know, and, and things like that. Um, so that's what's been going on. Um, I think that this is part of that transition from, uh, you know, into more services and it's inter- it's worth noting here that Apple is not the first tech company to go into finance. I mean, in my experience, you've had Sony doing this in Japan. Uh, you've also had Samsung uh, as does this as well. Um, and the, the sort of rationale behind that is that um, is the brand recognition and brand trust. So you've got um, consumers who are very familiar with Apple products. So the idea is, is that they can be sold um, more things by that brand because they trust them. So they're already, there's, there's already an in. Um, and I think that this, is, um, this could be huge and I would argue um, could be a significant moment in, in the history of Apple because maybe it could be the beginning of them providing insurance, health insurance, that sort of thing. And suddenly it, you know, the, the possibilities in, increase exponentially, but at the same time, having the beauty of having this hugely cash generative core business of selling gadgets, essentially, and services and things like that. So I think this, this is a, this is a major thing. That's why I thought, I know I normally, I would not talk about these things on, on, uh, you know, so many times, but it is so I think this is such a huge story that it is worth mentioning again. So, and and the fact this is a major development. So, 
it was, you know, we thought it was going to be Goldman, but they, they are still in it, sort of, um, yeah. but not really. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's Apple that's taking the risk. But what exactly. do you think? Well, do you trust uh, Apple? Uh, I think Apple's getting greedy. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. <laughs> I think, um, well, more work for them more mm-hmm. profit for them uh it, it certainly shows that they have a lot of faith in this project um when i first read about this story i of course had a number of questions in respect of their data mm-hmm. because of course we'll be able to rely on the huge amount of data that they already have mm. and um having more control over consumers data could bring a number of concerns i think mm. especially because well not having to to go ahead with the original plan and work fully with Goldman Sachs, but I think they will just now take care of the MasterCard operation or something to do mm. with, with MasterCard. Mm. I think in respect of that, it will give um, Apple more control and access over that data. And I had my concerns in respect of what's going to happen, you know, in relation to that, because, you know, all the information and all the disputes in, in, in respect of data that's uh, and all the concerns that we've been highlighting for the past months um you you explained to me i think uh, you gave a really good explanation in respect of this that uh you don't think that they, they will be able to, to do any kind of competition concerns as this is a new area, new industry. Mm. And of course, you know, the examples that you've already provided in respect of Samsung and Sony, which I think is a really good um, kind of example to see how the effect of Apple as well. But mm. I think important to hear is that Apple has this huge brand loyalty and mm. Keeps evolving and developing in different areas. Um, I think the facility and convenience that he provides is huge. That I think that essentially um, overrides any other concerns in my mm. sites. Mm. Uh, of course, on the downside, as you as you mentioned, um, if a customer defaults, then Apple will have to to bear the loss. Whereas before, with Goldman Sachs, I I kind of suppose that they would have different arrangements. Now mm. they will have to to wear the loss essentially. Um, and it's also getting into buy now and pay later at a time where the economy is not at it, at its best. Mm. And, uh, and we're looking at great. Um, you know, great concerns in respect of the economy. And so, you know, it makes you kind of think about whether this is the right time to do, but, you know, we know they're a huge business and might, if they're going into this, they might be able to afford uh, to to um, cost this, um, to develop this project. Um, mm. And so it shows in general that they have a lot of faith in the business, uh, which is which is good to see. Um, mm. And on the other side, of course, despite all the risks of wearing all the loss and everything, uh, you mentioned that it won't charge late fees for late mm. payments, uh, but mm. it restrict access to additional short-term credit, which I think is a huge and very important point because, you know, we've seen how Buy Now Pay Later has raised concerns um, uh, in respect of um, the of, of paying the debt. Mm people not being able to cope with their repayments arrangements and mm. so i think this is a reasonable thing to expect and in respect to final pay later is a way that they can do and in method that can use to mitigate risks and try to balance their operations so i mean i think it's very good for them and people will trust them as they've been doing so far mm. um i just kind of think about other companies like Klarna and what they must be thinking at the moment. Do you mm. think there will be consolidation on that side of the industry, Peter? Yeah, I think I think that there is that every 
um, or you know, chance of that. And it might be that it, it could not. It won't necessarily be consolidation of buy now, pay later players, mm-hmm. but it could be. Let's say you could have a bank buying Klarna, for yeah. instance, um, or Klarna buying a bank. Maybe I don't know. Um, but I, I, I would have thought that they. This is really up the stakes now. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is really. But I think. Klarna has had its own way for a long time now. And yes, others have been getting into it, including like MasterCard and things, been trying to get into it as well. But ultimately, um, you know, this really does cause a, is going to cause a stir. Um, it's only, it's in America, you know, it, ostensibly it's in America now. Um, but I, the, I thought it was really interesting that they, they start, they're start, starting off with America because. Yeah. Generally speaking, tech companies, when they introduce something new, tend to try and do something in a smaller country first, see how it goes, test it out a bit. Then they bring it to the you know America or something. But this time they're actually doing it. You know they're starting there, and I I wonder whether this means that um, they're pretty confident um, as it is now. Wow. And if if that is the case, then the rollout will be relatively quick i mean they haven't said anything they've no no you know plans mentioned but if they're starting in america you would have thought as long as that goes okay you would have thought that europe uh you know is not going to be far behind mm-hmm. uh and if that's the case then it really is a you know a massive a massive massive deal so yeah. um so anyway it's very exciting and like i said <laughs> I, I didn't want to you know, I know I don't normally talk this. You know, normally I think, oh, I've already talked about Apple, but this is such a big story that I think I had to mention it. So yeah, yeah. it was necessary, Peter. It was necessary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, um, so we're going to have to leave it there, I think. Um, but um, thank you very much, Ines, uh, this thank week you. Um, for your for your thoughts. Um, thank you very much for the listeners for listening and. Uh, I, I guess if you are interested in Apple, uh, you will have had a very satisfying week uh, listening to Watson's Daily. <laughs> sure. um, but anyway, uh, thank you very much indeed. Um, podcast will be back again very soon. And uh, just, you know, have a great day. Have a great uh, time, whatever you're doing, whatever you're up to. And uh, we'll be back again soon. Many thanks. Thank Bye. you. Bye.